Welcome back to Let Freedom Reign Podcast, the official equine industry podcast of Day 6 Ranch. I'm your host, Jason Swick, and on this show, we discuss leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship from topics and perspectives exclusive to the equine industry. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and explore our free content, other podcasts, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We thank you for joining us on this adventure. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. It has been an exciting and busy few weeks, but we're coming up on a little downtime for the next few weeks, so hopefully we can get caught up around our place and start gearing up for some of our fall events. Just last week, we finished a boot camp style leadership event with Forging Leaders Academy. It made for some long days and some grueling PT, but there were some amazing breakthroughs made by those who participated in the realm of self-mastery, redefining hard work, and showing people how resilient they really are. We also had an overwhelming positive response to the Horses and Heroes program at Victory Therapy Center. Talks have begun for the fall, and good Lord willing, they'll be running another program here in the coming months. If you're in the area of Roanoke, Texas, and have an interest in participating, visit victorytherapy.org or reach out to Veterans Point through Facebook. Just yesterday, we spent some time down at NRS in Decatur promoting the VIP experience for the Fort Worth Mustang Show 2023. After hanging out at NRS Ranch for a little bit, we traveled down to the stockyards where we continued the promotions, got to meet some incredible people, and helped spread the word for our VIP event. We are continuing to iron out the details, and we're really excited at how the event is shaping up. Now, this is a limited ticket event, so we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com to purchase tickets today. Over the next several weeks, we'll be revealing different details of the event to include meet and greets, details of the private tour of the Will Rogers Coliseum, and who the participating members of our Q&A panel will be. We hope to see you all there. Now, this week on Let Freedom Reign podcast, our guest is Daniel Dauphin of Dauphin Horsemanship. Daniel and I met back in the fall at the Best Horse Practices Summit in Lexington, Kentucky, where he presented some very compelling and insightful information on bits. Now, the presentation that I watched was just a snapshot of the information that he provides the horse world, and you can actually access the full presentation through DauphinHorsemanship.com. Daniel has a wide variety of experiences in the horse industry, from the racehorse world to the cutting business, and now running his own colt starting in clinics. We encourage you to visit his YouTube channel under Dauphin Horsemanship, and again, can contact him or gain more information about hosting a clinic through DauphinHorsemanship.com. That's D-A-U-P-H-I-N horsemanship.com. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Daniel Dauphin. Well, Daniel, I bet you there's a phenomenal weather down there in Louisiana. It's probably nice, cool summer, real stable weather, enjoyable for working horses and getting out in the yard and getting a bunch of outside projects done this time of year, huh? It's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you wanted to work inside of a sauna, this is the place to come. <laughs> yeah, we're on a little bit of a hot run here up in North Texas, and we try to get horses worked real early because uh, after the sun comes up, it gets kind of nasty. For sure. I try to be done by noon or so, and then I kind of start up part two. Heck yeah. About 530 or so in the evening. It's it, uh, not so bad usually. Yeah, yeah. So what's new around your place with horses and things of that sort? Well, we're cleaning up and moving some things around. This is a place that I kind of inherited some some crud on and, and some old trailers and things. And I've spent the summer, we're trying to get those moved out of the way and, and some of those long-term projects you hadn't been wanting to deal with for a while. So we're into the big nasty Heck right yeah. now trying to use my sons before they go back to school here shortly. So. I was telling my wife, the more I do uh, the honey-do list, 
the faster it seems to grow. And uh, I've debated on whether testing a concept that, you know, maybe if I don't do it, maybe it won't grow at all. Um, I don't know, but it seems like the more I knock out around the house, the more there is to be done. But I guess that's life in the country. Yeah, that, that little uh, subway game that the kids play on their phone with the gorilla chasing them, that, that was definitely a dad or a business owner that came up with the concept for that one. Heck yeah. I understand. Heck yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, I, I sure appreciate you setting time aside here for us and, and sharing with us. And I know you got a wealth of experience and we recently recorded for your show and it was such a, such a fun time sitting down and getting, uh, getting to know each other a little bit better. But here we are with you being a guest here on that Freedom Rain podcast. And we usually start every show with a little bit of a, your history, just so listeners have a better understanding of who you are and where you're coming from. So let's talk about your start with horses and kind of the influence that they played in your life. Uh, well, I guess I originally started just as riding a friend's horses. My family didn't have ranch or horses or anything like that. And whenever we got to be teenagers, particularly he got his driver's license, we started heading to the barn after school and riding pretty much every day. I wound up, I was always had jobs and stuff when I was a kid and splitting firewood. And I took my cash that I had earned and went and bought a horse without my parents knowing anything about it. When oh, I was geez. about 15 or 16 <laughs> and he wound up being a trick horse. He did backflips. So, uh, <laughs> that didn't introduce me to the world of training the horse. Uh, otherwise if my dad found out how bad he was, he would have probably shot him in the head or something. Yeah. So, uh, that was how I got started kind of horse training through self-preservation. Heck basically. yeah. Heck yeah. There's a lot to be learned there, huh? For sure. Yeah. That's a pass fail course. So, so yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not one that you want a little extra credit in. No, a good one to take when you're young and flexible and all of that, you know, you bounce. Real yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that was a good time to have those attributes for sure. Heck yeah. So what about, I mean, other than this horse doing unsolicited cartwheels, um, what about those early experiences for you? Uh, what really pushed you into pursuing horsemanship? on a deeper level other than just riding a horse and enjoying being around him? Well, probably like a lot of horse people, I've always felt more drawn to animals than people. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. uh, animals are a little more trustworthy and a little more easy to understand and so forth. And horses and dogs have just always been sort of my friends, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was what got me into it. And I loved the horses. I mean, there was the, the romance of the Western stuff and all. But, but actually with that horse, when I actually got into teaching him stuff, you know, and, and developing that connection and that relationship, it just became completely addictive and, and all-consuming. It was pretty much all I wanted to do at that point. What were some of those early influences for you as far as developing your horsemanship style? Well, I'd say the first big one was uh, when I went to college, there was a man that, that had a horse out there in the country where we were, and he had a, a surprise colt. He bought a mare and kind of woke up one morning with a with a, two horses instead of one. And by the time I went to college, that horse was old enough to break. So he sent it to college with me, and he also sent me with uh, the John Lyons six-pack of vhs tapes way back when and so i watched yeah. the tapes and play with the horse and watch the tapes some more and play with the horse some more and so that was sort of the earliest big influence and i really found i could follow the stuff he was saying to do and it worked out just the way that 
he said it was going to work out and it was you know you stuck my head into a whole new universe basically yeah, yeah. so did you start I guess once you start to pursue that education, did you stay with the cult starting stuff or what were some of the first disciplines that you pursued? Because I know you spent some time in the cutting business, yeah? Yeah, so I guess first, um, my first actual horse job was cleaning stalls at a halter horse barn. But it was a halter horse barn that was also based on a working cattle ranch. So it was, those horses were a little more useful than most halter horses were, Mm -hmm. I guess I'll say. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. And yeah, then I, I got to working for a man helping him out on his ranch and then starting colts for cutting horse trainer and act well say that actually before that i was an exercise rider uh, in louisiana tech's racehorse program so i actually spent about six or eight months uh posting around the track and breaking racehorses wow. and all that of course i was i was a smaller guy at that point in time <laughs> but uh so I've i've done a little bit of all of it. And, and then the cutting horse stuff I stayed in for a long time. I spent about six years apprenticing under other cutting horse trainers, uh, mostly within the aged event stuff, two year old man for futurity prospects and mm-hmm. doing all of that. And then uh, later years, more recently, it's been just my own business, which is mostly starting colts and working uh, with problem horses. I do a, a fair bit of fifth trainer to have the horse kind of stuff yeah so, yeah um, and it's interesting too when you find these I, I for lack of a better term call them the throwaway horses right people that excuse me horses that just ran through several different programs and nobody can't quite figure them out um they're actually quite enjoyable to work with once you get through those first hurdles of the learning process and most of them end up faring pretty well if you trust the process and you stick with them and and give them the ability to learn and make some decisions on their own how's your experience been with that yeah, I would say most of those horses are are ones that just needed a little more than what they were giving. I mean, you do. I, I I try to be very realistic about everything I say. So I I will say I've run across maybe a dozen or so that that I don't think that Ray Hunt himself could have figured done out. Much yeah. With. You know, yeah, yeah. So you you do always have the ones that are legitimate, but most of the time when someone has a air quotes problem horse they're it, it's almost uh like i'll say ray hunt's quote about mules that they're just like a horse only more so yeah so it, it's kind of like that they just have some of the characteristics or caricatures a little more exaggerated and you have to hang in there with them a little bit more mm-hmm. but if you you give them the time and the patience and you stay consistent and keep your emotions in check then most of the time it works out pretty well yeah most of the time that i've found is it it's unrealistic expectations based on the human pigeonhole in the horse, right? They should be able to do X amount of tasks in whatever days of training. And, and sometimes those horses just need a little extra time or they just need a different approach, right? They don't, they don't, they can't handle the training load or the pace in which the training load's moving. And once you kind of give them For their sure. ability to make their own decisions, they actually start to come around pretty quick. Yeah. And, and sometimes I, I probably honestly run across this scenario more than any other the horse is just really sensitive and that particular owner does not yet have the skills to mm-hmm. manage that particular horse. Oh yeah. You know, that I've been happens that. a I've, lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've been that many times over. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, Heck so yeah. Sometimes I can get them fixed for me, but I can't get them fixed for you. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. definitely part of, definitely. part of the reality. Well, Daniel and I met way back at best horse practices summit last fall in Kentucky and, 
to say he is a man of virtue and on a different level of character than most human beings um, is an understatement because I was tasked with picking a bunch of cockleballs out of a horse's mane and tail and uh, Daniel might be the only human being on the face of this earth that volunteered to help me out with that gig, which when you walked in that stall and I understood that your, hey, can I help question was a legitimate question that you did want to come help with such a joyous task. It ended up being a great time, you know, just sitting there and shooting the bull and getting to know each other. And then I got to watch Daniel speak on bits and horses perception of bits and kind of the process in greater detail. And it was a phenomenal presentation. But Daniel, let's get into how you fell into the expertise of bits and the, in the base of knowledge of bits. Cause it, it was kind of by chance, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't anything I had planned. Uh, I've always had a pretty good aptitude for physics. Uh, in fact, I, I started out college in mechanical engineering and did that for a couple of years. And and then I had the horse thing going on. And, and so when I look at bits and I hear a lot of the things that people say and describe about bits, my, my uh, physics BS meter goes off yeah. a lot of times yeah. and I'm just going, Oh, that's, that's not how that works at all. <laughs> you know? And so I, I decided maybe 10 years ago to do some YouTube videos on bits. And I, I think I did one on snaffles and one on transition bits and one on full on leverage and curb bits. And, and uh, they were pretty successful. And I, you know, as a clinician, uh, whenever I send out emails approaching people, I always introduce myself as one of the 1,278,000 horsemanship clinicians out there. So <laughs> you got it always early. Looking for, yeah, <laughs> you're always looking for one of those things to differentiate yourself from the crowd. Yeah. And kind of the bits thing has has been that for me, I guess. I, mm-hmm. It wasn't, wasn't the direction I was originally intending to go. But, uh, you know, if, if, I do feel like. I've got something to offer and some real help to yeah. give. And, and I hope there are some areas we can make some paradigm shifts within the various disciplines and, and industries of horses and make it better for horses and, and just have people again in, in sort of the, the reality of what this is, not what we might want it to be, you know? And that's a lot so, of what we try to, what we try to help promote in our horsemanship and, and the network that we roll with is it just cause you were taught this by the the best cowboy on the place or your grandpa taught you this or it got handed down, you know, whatever the skill set might be, doesn't mean that it's right. And to think critically about different training practices and theories should be encouraged and invited. And that's where, that's where I really had my eyes opened to all this bit knowledge because there's a stereotypical progression of how a horse, you know, should receive different bits depending on their training and experience and what you're trying to accomplish. But then there's the reality and your presentation was a huge, huge eye opener for me as to, I'm going to say how aggressive the riders are and the trainers are in the metal we put in the horse's mouth. Yeah. I, I, I like to say that you can pull on a horse hard, slowly, but mm-hmm. you can really scare a horse pulling on them lightly, but quickly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we do is uh, video coaching where you can like send in a video and i'll critique it and stuff and and part of what i do in there is slow the video down Mm -hmm. and a lot of what i noticed is that there's a ton of horses out there that are flinching every time we touch our reins essentially bracing for impact kind of thing that 
yeah, once you, once you see that, you can't unsee it, you know? Yeah. And so that was a pretty big turning point on me. And I guess that's kind of a, a big focus of what I do now is try to get people where their horses don't flinch anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what are some commonalities or some misnomers that you've experienced based on your education and I guess, traditional ways of the horsemanship world? You mean specifically with bits? Yeah, or, re- relating to bits in the form of communication. I would say one of them is that the way we adjust bits is very often wrong, uh, and that's that's more of a problem in the English world than the Western world. But uh, particularly with snaffles, if, if people would adjust their head stalls where the bit was actually hanging down just a little bit below the corner of the mouth, Mm-hmm. The horse w- is then encouraged to actually pick the bit up and hold it with their tongue and the soft tissues of the mouth. Mm-hmm. They're going to suck on it. They're going to work their tongue more. They're going to swallow more. And your entire line of communication with that horse is going to become more sensitive and more communicative. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get them out of that braced sort of mindset, which is really the sympathetic nervous system. They're in a defense mode, a fight or flight mode. We want them to be out of the reactive side into the thinking side, the parasympathetic nervous system. And if people would just lower their bits a little bit, it it enables that horse to relax tremendously. It, mm-hmm. it is a far bigger deal than we would tend to ever give it credit for. So the misnomer of one wrinkle or two wrinkle in the corner of the horse's mouth is it's it's not a good thing at all uh, and with very rare exception we do this a lot at clinics we'll adjust ask you know i ask so hey do you mind if i adjust this a little differently and you just can't imagine the horses that'll take a big deep breath lower their head and just go oh thank god somebody finally gave my mouth some room yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. ain't that the truth yeah <laughs> so how does that work with the with the younger horses right Generally speaking, they want bits a little tighter in their mouth to make sure that they're not getting their tongue up and over it. How would you address situations like that with a younger horse or a more inexperienced horse? I actually go the complete opposite direction. So um, I have a bit that hangs on my round pin. It lives out there. I call it the hanging bit. And it's just on a little leather thong or, well, actually a leather thong brought, broke not long ago. Now it is on a piece of paracord. But there's no reins, no real head stall. And when I, I start my groundwork with a colt, assuming it's halter broke enough that I can do this without mm-hmm. a whole big, big deal, I just put that bit on the horse's head. And I actually leave it a little looser than I normally would. I don't want it falling out of their mouth, but almost. Mm-hmm. And they will mouth on that thing like you wouldn't believe. But then I just start doing my groundwork and my basic things. And most horses within about five minutes, they're packing that bit around and they're just as comfortable and relaxed with it as they can be. And for the most part, they hold it that way the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And so the, the deal of putting it in their mouth and cranking it up into their lips um, I think it makes the bit more of a distraction, more of a, a something they have to concern themselves with rather than something they can get comfortable with. I, I don't know how, how deep into this you want to get, but the, Let's go. the mechanism of, of swallowing and working the tongue is just immensely important in the horse's ability to relax. Uh, and I think that's something we don't tend to appreciate enough or to understand fully. So we have that saying that a foamy mouth is a wet mouth and a wet mouth is a good mouth. 
Well, I look at that backwards. So I'm going to say, why is a wet mouth a good mouth? And and I did about six months of really hard research going into the the formal research papers, calling some of the people that wrote them, lots of veterinarians and college professors and, and that type. And I learned pretty quickly that there's a lot about the physiology of the horse's tongue and throat and all that we don't fully understand yet. So there are some things... When you say we don't understand, are you talking about us as the the horsemen or on the veterinary medicine side of things? On the veterinary medicine side, the the biomechanics and and all of that. Well, I don't want to get too deep into that, but Mm. but there's every expert I talked with, I could within five minutes run to a point where they couldn't answer my questions anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there just is a whole lot in there that we assume and we think, but we don't really know. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not necessarily important enough that millions of dollars of research needs to be done. We kind of have the evidence of, but we don't have the the hard research behind to back everything up. Mm-hmm. No, but, but part of that is the, the the fundamental link between swallowing and relaxation. And and part of that is uh, Dr. Peters has popularized with the licking and chewing that we you know that that correlates of a release of dopamine we know that specifically because when a horse goes into the sympathetic nervous system one of the first things that happens is digestion completely stops which means they're not salivating or swallowing and so when they return from the sympathetic nervous system we downregulate them we get them to relax they lick and chew and that is because the ninth cervical nerve gets kicked back on they start salivating again, and now they have to deal with the saliva they just got, and we see them licking and chewing, and then swallowing. And really swallowing to me is the big part of that mechanism that we need to have happen. And uh, uh, one of the things that I try to teach riders when, when we're working on them and their hands and their skills is to begin to look for and feel for the horse swallowing and working their tongue when you're riding through your reins. If you can't feel that, either you're not paying attention to it or you're pulling hard enough that they're not doing it. You've shut that down, which tells us automatically we put the horse into the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. So there's there's a whole lot to the body language of what the mouth is showing us. There really is. It's so interesting because I doubt that most riding programs really spend the time or even have the care to to teach a rider such to have such sensitivity in your hands to understand when that bit's being manipulated and to not only differentiate like a horse manipulating the bit for the purposes of trying to get it out of their throat because you have it so snug up or you're pulling on your rein so much you know that they're defensive and trying to push that bit out of the mouth or in fact, are they on the salivation side of the learning process? And it's confirmation that you're on the right track and you're in the right headspace to be working with that horse. Absolutely. I mean, th- those two things outwardly could look the same, but in reality, they're total polar opposites of yeah. what's actually going on with the horse. You know? yeah. And that's kind of my goal. If I can bring awareness to that, people start looking for it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. You know, for every horse you look at from, from then on, you know, you're, you're going to have a better idea where they are Mentally. just because of how they're, they're handling that bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
So talk to us more about some of the confirmations of the physiology of the horse's mouth and, and some of these misnomers with bits. And I mean, I know we talked about the snaffle bit and I'm going to say the ride height of the bit and giving that horse a chance to pick it up all on its own versus just bounding it so tight in the horse's mouth. What are some other things that you've seen related to bits and, and kind of how they affect the, the training or the mental space of the horse? Probably one of the biggest is that people are always concerned about bar pressure from a bit. Um, you hear that a lot, that this, this bit will have a lot of bar pressure or something mm-hmm. like that. There are even cases of horses that have um, bone remodeling in their bars. There's actually a surgery that can be done to kind of chip away where the, the bone has been done and so their gums back up and all. <clears throat> the tongue is actually what we should be thinking about. The tongue is the only part of the body that is involved in three of the five senses, touch, taste, and smell. And all mammals are born, the moment they're born, their tongue, swallowing reflex, and so forth has to work immediately, even if their eyes aren't open and they can't walk yet. So, uh, and if you think about like kids, we've all seen toddlers that are going around and you kind of have that three or four month period as a parent where all you say to your child is get that out of your mouth. Yeah, they're you know, exploring the world with their mouth. <laughs> yeah, they're exploring <laughs> the world with their mouth. That's because the mouth is extremely neurologically wired it's it's highly highly communicative one of the things i do in my presentation i I pick up a walnut and a cap to like a highlight marker and i tell the crowd i'm holding these two objects in my hand every single person in this room knows exactly what these objects would feel like in your mouth Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it just goes to illustrate how much communication our mouth has. We've got sensory neurons in there, chemoreceptors, motor neurons. You think about people that can tie a cherry stem into a knot with their tongue. Your mouth does an amazing amount of things. And the idea that we have to be super loud in there to communicate, when you think of it that way, it just becomes an absurd notion. It really does. Yeah, it does. I mean, I've always erred on the side of giving the horse a chance and a choice in the training process and learning process, but man, watching your demonstration and obviously when you see it in person, you get to see a lot of the physical demonstrations with the props and things of that sort, but it really opened up my eyes to where it it does not take much and we should challenge ourselves as riders and horsemen to always pursue that softer feel or that more sensitive feel and, and do what we need to do to communicate with as little pressure um, is possible to be effective given the training process. And, and I also want to say, I'm, I'm not trying to come off as holier than thou. I mean, sometimes you need to grab a hold of his horse and say, Hey, come here. Right. I'm not saying those, those moments don't ever happen for me. Um, but when we talk about things like the escalation of aids and all that, you, you start off with a, an ask or a suggestion mm-hmm. and then, you know, you build most people's start off, is what should be a level three, not a level one. That's yeah. kind of what I'm talking about. It just needs to be slower. The horse needs to see you coming from a mile away. And you, a lot of people would be surprised if they just slowed down how they asked a little bit more. The horse would meet them way quicker and way easier than they think that it would. You would yeah. never really get to contact for the most part. So you pick up that left rein, they see you coming and the nose just comes without you ever having to brace him up against you. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you're absolutely correct that there's times that we need to hold horses accountable in the training process, especially if you're trying to get stuff done. But I think so many people naturally go to that 
accountability threshold right out the gate without giving the horse a chance to make a decision. And it's funny you mentioned that. So we just, Friday's the last couple of weeks, I've been working with a veterans group and these are riders get on the horses for the first time in this program. And one of the drills that we did in walking these horses around was having them hold those reins in a relaxed riding position. And it was literally a matter of just balling their fists as if they're going to punch somebody and then relaxing their hands and holding reins and understanding that, Hey, if you seek the sensitivity in it, that can be effective communication. It can be that subtle. It doesn't take a big old draw of a rein or a big old pull of a rein. And it was unbelievable to watch those horses start to turn corners in their ability and understanding when they realize that, Hey, this human's not going to rip my head off. I love that. Very, very good. I love that. Back to the basics, man. Well, there is that saying, right? That uh, beginning horsemen want to work on intermediate horsemanship, intermediate horsemen want to work on advanced horsemanship and advanced horsemen work on basic horsemanship. Yeah. Yeah. You never, you never get past working on the basics. That was the greatest thing that I took from playing sports is it, I mean, the higher you get, and I played baseball at a relatively competitive level. Those folks are just really, really, really good at the fundamentals. They do not mess them up for nothing, despite the situation or the circumstance or the scenario that they're put in, man. They hit their fundamentals 99.9% of the time. So to think as horsemen that we have to come up with these crazy, crazy skill sets to get a lot accomplished is kind of a misnomer. You know, if you really focus on those basics of understanding a horse and understanding yourself, and then finding that paradigm of, of communication and accountability, there's a lot that can get accomplished. That's for darn sure. I think it's one of the biggest communication divides that, that you know, the more advanced horsemen the clinicians have when they're talking with the customer base is you, you watch us ride and you, you would come back saying, well, it didn't really look like he really he did didn't much do anything. of anything. Yeah. And the clinician would say, I didn't do much of anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that was kind of the point. It was yeah. uh, you. You're looking for big, complicated thing, and the problem is it's far simpler than you're allowing yourself to believe it can be. Yeah. So, and I mean, how many times have you heard that you know a horse is out of control, or you need a bigger bit? You need a bigger bit to gain more control of that horse. And God, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. If that that fire is big enough, you throw enough gasoline on it, and then it'll burn out eventually, right? So, <laughs> or it'll start doing those uh, involuntary cartwheels like that first horse you picked up. There you go. Yep. Good stuff, man. So let's talk about how people can get more connected and more involved with you because you have an online curriculum uh, based on the bit and your your experience and research with the bit. How can people uh, start to consume more of that content? Because, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of it. I've watched a bunch of your stuff and, and watched it several times over because sometimes I have an inability to learn. But we keep mashing the gas and eventually we get there, right? Our, well, our biggest offering right now, we have a, a video uh, that's called the Bit Video, Understanding How and Why Bits Function. That was a project I spent about three years working on. It's a video that's about five and a half hours long. It comes in a four-disc DVD set or as a three-part digital download. It's the exact same video, but just two different formats there and that's that's probably the biggest thing that we've got out there and it's a pretty comprehensive view of everything from the anatomy and the physiology to how to use your hands to the various metallurgies and materials that bits are made from and then we focus specifically on snaffles and 
leverage bits. And I can promise you that sounds like hell to watch, and it's not nearly as dry or difficult to understand or boring as you're thinking that it, it might be. I, I make an absolute promise of that. We goof our way through a whole lot of it and keep it interesting. Uh, it's very information dense, so even though it's five and a half hours long, most people report back that they have watched it two or even three yeah. times in the first two weeks. Definitely. <laughs> so, definitely. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that we have. We're currently working on getting some online courses up. I don't have that fleshed out right now, but we do do uh, online video coaching and stuff uh, kind of in two ways. You can either send me a video and I will watch that voiceover on it, slow things down, draw on it, you know, point out this or that or so forth, or we can do sort of a live lesson. If you have someone that can hold an iPad or something like that for you and film you while you ride and you have a Bluetooth headset, then I can watch you ride in live time, no matter what country you might live in. And that's really been a pretty weird piece of technology for me to embrace. Um, we actually had a customer in Canada here not long ago that was having some some quote-unquote behavioral issues with her horse, and I watched her working for a little while, and, and it looked to me like he was having some neurological problems, so I advised her to call her vet and said, I think he might look in this direction, and wound up, we were right. The, the vet diagnosed the horse with EPM and started treatment, and he is way, way, way better already no right now. So wow. uh, you don't have to be right next door for for someone with good eyes to get eyes on your horse and help you anymore so, uh, and then of course we do clinics and presentations and demonstrations and all of that so the uh the bit video lecture that you had watched me give at, at best horse practices uh, we've actually been getting a good many requests to do that on the road i'm trying to do it as sort of a one day lecture say mm -hmm. a saturday mm -hmm. and then on the sunday have a clinic where some of the people can bring their horse and we will, I'll work with them one-on-one -on -one in individual blocks uh, on setting the bid up correctly, using their hands correctly. And then the crowd can see them make changes right there based upon everything we talked about yesterday. So we'll be booking some of those for next year. And it looks like I'll be at maybe a half a dozen expos and stuff around the country as well. So life on the road, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I that that does I, I prefer to be face to face with people. Yeah. If I can be, yeah, that's absolutely. definitely where we have the, the great just like meeting you. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh we try to get out there as much as we can. Like I say, there's there's a lot of competition and, and COVID definitely changed that world for all of us not long ago. But uh it looks like we're gonna be in more and more places coming up. So, that is so that's cool. a good thing. That is cool. So we never really did talk about how you got your start with the bit thing. I mean, how was there a horse that kind of drove that or what was that incipient experience that kind of said, well, well, here we go down the bit road. <laughs> yeah, there've been a bunch of horses. I mean, um, and I'm, I don't mind being controversial. I, I'm not a person that, that feels like I need to be in the middle of the pack of sheep or anything like yeah. that. If, if I find something that works differently than the rest of them I'm, I'm okay being the weird guy that's doing his own thing over there so probably one of the first like discoveries i had like that i remember there was a little little bay mare that i was riding i was probably 19 or something when this happened and i really really liked her but when i would ride her 
she would get really anxious and fidgety, particularly about the bridle. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day I decided I was just going to work her in the round pin a little bit, even though we'd already been riding for a couple of weeks. And I just I put the bridle on her. I tied the reins up around the saddle horn. I started working her. And when she stopped, she immediately went to moving her head around and kind of pawing at the bit. And I noticed that the bit hobble that was hanging down from my staffle was rubbing her whiskers. And I thought, I think that's tickling her. So I walked (laughs) up and I took it off the bridle and I put it instead of in front of the reins as is traditional, I put it behind my reins, which kept it enough far, far enough back where it wasn't tickling her. And she was immediately a different horse. And I thought, hmm, I think I need to start doing some experimenting instead of just taking all of this stuff at face value. And so that was that was one of the turning points for me. And I've kept my bridles rigged that way ever since. There are some shows that won't allow it. And if I have to change it for a show, then then so be it. But when I'm at home working, I don't tickle whiskers of horses. So that's funny. uh, So there's just a lot of little things like that that I've learned through the years. And then people kind of got the noticing that I was, I had this weird affinity with bits. And so people will send me pictures and, Hey, what do you think of this? Or sometimes they'll send me a bit. And one of the neat things about being a horse trainer is you got a bunch of horses around. So I can take this new weird bit and go put it on 10 different horses and 10 different personalities and 10 different stages of training and kind of see what that bit actually does in real time on this different variety of horses. And so I've been kind of picking it apart for, a long, long time. Heck yeah. Uh, and then, like I say, my, my engineering background and the physics and all, um, there's a lot of that stuff that is just, it, we have explanations a lot of times, but the explanations are not correct. Completely uh, accurate. For instance, yeah. We say sometimes like uh, there are even a number of bit companies that'll put this with a straight cheek bit versus a curved cheek bit. So like a, a let's say a, a Las Cruces spade cheek versus like a grazing bit. And they will make the statement that the grazing bit has a delayed signal or a delayed reaction. That's completely wrong. There, there it's is mechanical physics leverage. behind. Yeah. There, there is physics behind why we see a horse ride differently in them, but it has nothing to do with a delay in signal. And so if anyone's interested in knowing what the difference is, well, I'm happy to spend 30 minutes of my life explaining <laughs> it to you. <laughs> Most people might not be, but um, I am a truth seeker. So when, yeah. when I come across information that is wrong and yeah. particularly is getting perpetuated within a professional instance, yeah. uh, I, I have to speak up. Yeah. You know? No, so, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and let's talk about, let's talk about adult onset horsemanship man how did that come to be which is a podcast that you host and i recently was a guest and honestly can't thank you enough for inviting me on because looking at your guest lineup to be included in folks of that caliber was just more than an honor how'd you get in the podcast game so i was a guest on a couple of podcasts and this was during covid when Mm -hmm. you know our our ability to get with everybody was was pretty limited and so i I thought, well, maybe I could start one of these things up on my own, and I kind of got to thinking about it. I happened to have a customer that left a review on our Facebook page that jokingly was talking about him getting into this adult-onset horsemanship phase of life, Yeah, and I immediately messaged him back. I'm, I'm completely stealing that name from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he named the podcast for me, and – uh, really when I got into it, I wasn't quite sure 
what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I also kind of have this compulsive humor tick about me. So I, I had to make it kind of funny. And, and also, like, we have a mock sponsor with most of the episodes yeah. where we try to be the antithesis of the guests. So, so like, I'll, <laughs> I'll say um, Jim Masterson of the Masterson Method was a guest. The sponsor for his episode was Jack Hammer Chiropractic. So <laughs> it kind of goes like that. You know? <laughs> oh, I love it. But I really enjoyed like that podcast forces me to look for guests. So yeah. I try to find the most interesting people that I can. And I'm having conversations with people I never would have approached or spoken to yeah. otherwise. And I've really made some, some friends and some good connections through uh, doing it. I'll, I'll say uh, blatantly two of the ones I've been a little, just couldn't believe they actually came on was Dr. Robert Miller uh, last year. And then Mike Kevill, uh, here just a few yeah. months ago and, and yeah. those men are absolute legends I, it took me a good while to get untongue tied talking to them where i could actually access my brain instead of standing there like a, a fanboy. So, uh, so it's been a, a pretty fun ride i have enjoyed it and then then you uh, you know um you were one of the the more fun to talk to guests that i have had amongst the deal i try to vary it as much as i can so we have horse trainers we have vets we have people from different disciplines it's not sort of a one trick pony it's pretty much anybody i think has something to offer and would be interesting to talk to man so. i was dying laughing looking through all your guests and stuff after you invited me on and i'm like man these are like these are like experts in the horse world like i just played a criminal the majority of my life like that's my experience <laughs> And uh, well, see, like writing your description was one of the most fun I had. Like, yeah. I got to talk to a professional scumbag. Yeah, that's right? true. So, <laughs> that is true. You can't put that in there when you're talking to most of them, right? Even if it's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great ride uh, doing the podcast thing. And like like you said, I look back at some of the guests that I've had here on that Freedom Rain podcast, and, and, and there's no way that I should have had access to horsemen and horsewomen of this caliber, but everybody's got a story and everybody's got a testimony and there's value in all of it. You know, I don't expect everybody to take everything that I say as gospel. I mean, be critical of the information, be critical of the experience, be critical of the guests, because that's how we, we all grow our ability to learn. And in the end, we're just serving the horse on a higher level. And that should be the progression of it, right? With all that you have in bits. I'm sure there's plenty of people that are polarized in their opinion of bits and how they work and what they do and what their function is. And maybe it's a tough pill to swallow when you reveal some truths on that. But if we stop worrying about so much of our ego and put the horse first, some incredible things can happen in the form of our own personal growth or horsemanship growth, would you say? I completely agree. Uh, and I have to say, I don't, I really don't think I get very much negative feedback at all. Um, I do think the sort of the arguments we make are pretty hard to argue with, even yeah. if they are a hard pill to swallow Yeah. sometimes. But, you know, this is one of those areas where I differ, particularly from one of the current trends in the horsemanship world is I, I'm not a fan of all of the emotional aspects of it. I think a big part of horsemanship is denying and controlling your emotions. Mm -hmm. A lot of the biggest problems we have, things like fear, ego, all of those sorts of things, that's coming directly from your emotional side. So I always try to stick with the analytical, logical parts and try to keep my emotions in a mailbox, so to speak, as much as I can when I'm dealing with horses because that uh, – that emotional part of things can cost you a, a lot in the long run. So, Oh, it absolutely does. And, and that's why I think the emotional intelligence side from the human's perspective 
is something we need to focus on more of whether the horse is fearful or whether the horse is scared. I mean, the horse is the horse, right? But when we look in the mirror and can be a little bit more disciplined on our side of the house, uh, some amazing things can happen, but we always just kind of use emotion is often used as an excuse. Absolutely. We, we, we as a species tend to be remarkably lacking in Mm self-awareness and Mm -hmm. if if we worked a little harder on that and being honest with ourselves about what's really going on and uh, I think we could have a lot more empathy for the horse and, and others. I, yeah, mean, yeah. I, I wish I was as good a dad as I am a horseman. Unfortunately, I haven't had near as many colts under me to, uh, to deal with there. It's probably, yeah, but, probably a good thing, especially on your pocketbook. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, at least I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm, I'm not batting a thousand here. Yes. And I still need to be working on improving. Yeah. So. That's the joys of it though. Right. That's the joys of it. Mm-hmm. And adult onset horsemanship is available on nearly every major podcast platform, correct? Yes. Pandora, for whatever reason, was the only one that didn't accept me. Oh, but that's I don't funny. even see it as an option. So yeah. I think it's on all of the other directories. Heck so. yeah. Good stuff. And then we do actually have a page on the website that has every episode on it along with the description. So Good stuff. Well, as we wrap every episode, we like to share some life advice. And the way I typically pose a question is if you were to give previous chapters of your life advice or different versions of you life advice, knowing what you know now, what would be the advice that you would share? Fail sooner. Yeah. Uh, I Dang, tend to be kind of hard headed and stick with things maybe longer than I, I should trying to make them work and not wanting to give up. And it's taken me decades to realize that that's not a virtue. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes we need to recognize that this is not working very well and, and make the change a lot sooner. Yeah. There was earlier parts of my life where I literally was motivated by the fear of failing. Like I worked as hard as I could at things, specifically academics and sports because I was scared to fail. And now being a little bit older, looking back, like what an idiot. If I would have failed the lessons that come from failure in the form of resilience and wisdom far outweigh any hesitancy of just playing it safe. Any of those people that are that way, kind of that type A, that's as a very fear-based personality, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fear of failure. And again, talking about the emotional side of things, yeah. right? That's yeah. that they would never want to be considered emotional in their approach, but that is, that's really what that is. Yeah. So sometimes you just got to let it rip. Are good for your blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, Daniel, we can't thank you enough for coming on that Freedom Rain podcast. We're excited about all that you have going on through your podcast, Adult Onset Horsemanship. And I'll tell you right now, if you are listening to this podcast, as soon as this episode ends, go on over to your podcast platform, look it up, give it a follow. Um, We're excited about the future of your website and getting all that material out. And like I said, if you guys have a chance to check out Daniel's presentation in person, please, please, please make it a point. It's an incredible educational opportunity and will exponentially pay off in the work that you do with your horses. And Daniel, if there's anything that we could do here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast or through Day 6 Ranch, man, you know how to get a hold of us. No, I, I appreciate it. And I still have the compromising photos of you, so you and I will definitely be working together in the heck future. Yeah, heck again, yeah, So no worries. <laughs> Blackmail makes the world go round. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, brother. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us here on Let Freedom Rain Podcast. If you are looking to grow in the areas of leadership, self-mastery, and discipleship, please visit day6ranch.com to see all we have to offer in the form of free content, podcasts, and material related to building a legacy-worthy lifestyle.